0: Our New Testament lesson is going to come from the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue in Ephesians in this relationship roadmap series we're in, in this, uh, in this season. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. They were reading chapter 5, verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. So as to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but, then he, nourish, but he nourishly and tenderly cares for it. Just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, Father's Day is much like Mother's Day to me in terms of I don't know what you bring to the table right now. I don't know. For some of you, this is a wonderful day. For some of you, this is a day to celebrate. For you've had loving and caring and godly fathers who have loved you, who have cared for you, who have modeled for you Christ's love for you. And you have seen that love of God that Paul is talking about here embodied in your earthly father. And if you've had that, if that has been your experience, then that's one of the greatest gifts you've never been given. That's what some of you bring to the table this morning. Others, it may not be that case. You may have not had a loving father. You may not have known your father. You may have come from an abusive or not loving situation. Some of us bring that to the table. I mean, I would not know my biological father if he walked in and sat down in this church right now. Some of us bring difficult things to the table. Some of us this morning are grieving because this may be the first Father's Day without our dad. Maybe it's the 10th. We, I don't know. And this day evokes sadness. It may evoke sadness because maybe you've always wanted to be a father and for whatever reason could not. So I don't, I don't know what you bring to the table this morning. And I don't want to presume that this is a great day for everybody. For some of us, this is a a sad day. But here's what I want you to hear. No matter what you bring to the table this morning, whether it is joy or sorrow, whether it is rejoicing or grieving, Jesus Christ stands here with you in this moment and not just that, but the church does too. Because the Bible tells us that as Christians, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. And we should mourn with those who mourn. So if you've had that beautiful, loving experience, know that that is one of God's greatest gifts to you. But if you've had a different experience, one of grief or sadness or hurt, know that Jesus Christ becomes for us the things that are missing in our life. And he becomes that bond and that love, and he fills that hole in our heart that can be left by the tragedies of this world. So where we've seen love, we've seen God. But where we have missed that, Jesus Christ becomes that with which we are missing. So happy Father's Day to you, no matter how this day lands with you. In my life, there have been several moments where I felt something inside of me change, where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt something inside of me changed. One of the first of these was my conversion when I got saved. When I gave my heart to Jesus and he became Lord of my life, I felt something inside of me change from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, I felt something inside of me that was different from that day forward. The, the theological word is it's an ontological change. Or to put it like we say in Bogachita, your energy changed. Something's different about you. And when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, something changed inside of me. When um, when. Sarah and Thomas were born. Something inside of me changed on those two days. I felt something inside of me become different as I now encountered this different part of my life. When I was ordained down the road at Christ Methodist Church a few years back, more than a few years back now, and the bishop put her hands upon my head and said, Take thou authority? I felt something change inside of me. When I gave those vows, you've heard me say this in this crazy season we find ourselves in. I've talked about, to me, the importance of my vows. And I take my vows to my church as seriously as as I take my vows to my wife. Something inside of me changed in that moment. But on March 10th, 2010, March 10th, 2001, not 2010, when Eddie Calco walked Holly Calco down the aisle at Johnson Chapel United Methodist Church, and the preacher took her hand from his hand and put her hand in my hand. Something changed. Something changed inside of me. And the commonality with all those moments, those commonalities with my conversion, my children being born, my ordination. And my marriage was this. The reality was brought true to my heart. It's not about me. That no longer in these moments did I have the luxury or did I have the even desire to live for myself. But in those moments, it was reaffirmed deep in the core of my being that it was no longer about me. Rick Warren wrote that powerful book a few years back, you may remember, called A Purpose-Driven Life. If you remember that book, that book has maybe the best introduction, best first few words of any book I've ever ever read. The book begins with these poignant words, it's not about you. And for him, that was the point or the path to living a purpose-driven life was to first realize that it's not about you. And in each of those moments, my conversion, becoming a father, becoming an ordained pastor, becoming a husband. In each of those moments, the Holy Spirit drove it true, deep in my heart that it was no longer about me. We're reading in this These summer months, Paul's letter to Ephesians is back part, where Paul lays out for us some key things for relationships. And last week, we talked about wives. We talked about wives submitting to their husbands. So now that we fixed that, we're going to fix the husbands today. But really, honestly, y'all, if you want to do this right, you need to read these two passages together. Because last week, we were told this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Today we're told this, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And the key to understanding both of these passages is verse 21, where Paul says this, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. This whole thing, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands love their wife as Christ loves the church, is about that concept of mutual submission, Because, y'all, let me be clear. I love marriage. I love my wife deeply and dearly. Outside of my conversion, the best thing that happened in my life was me marrying Holly. But marriage is hard, y'all. Like, let's be honest marriage is hard. Because, deep in the core of my being, I'm selfish. And I want what I want. I want it to be done the way I want it to be done, and I want what I want. I'm going to reckon I'm not the only person here like that today, if we're going to be honest. We want what we want, don't we? That's how we like it. So this notion that Paul lays out for us of mutual submission, y'all, I don't want to do that. I always like what George W. Bush said about a dictatorship. He said a dictatorship is a great form of government as long as you're the dictator. I want what I want. But Paul here in this passage gives us the key for a healthy and a holy and a Christ-like marriage. This notion of mutual submission. Wives, submit to your husbands. But then husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Last week we talked about wives, submit to your husbands. Today, I want to go a little bit further into this notion of husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a beautiful phrase. But how did Christ love the church? What did he do for the church? He literally died for it. To redeem the church, to save the church, to save his people, Jesus Christ, not metaphorically, not as an analogy, not as a metaphor, but he literally, physically died for the church so husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church is not some call to just wash the dishes once in a while but it's a call to literally die to yourself die to your wants to your needs to your stuff and to literally die in that way for your family and see, I think that right there is the key, because if we're not careful, if we read these passages wrong, we're go- the wife's job is not just to submit to the husband, it's the husband to lo- to live wife wife's Christ of the church. What you see in that beautiful thing, you see this beautiful notion that both sides, both sides of the marriage, are putting the needs and the wants and the desires of the other. Ahead of their own. And that's what goes haywire, y'all. That's what goes haywire. Is if one side is not doing that, if one side is doing all the giving, and the other side doing all the receiving, then in time the giver will resent the receiver. What Paul's talking about here is both sides of a marriage, both husband and a wife, laying down their desires, their wants, their needs, their whatever for the good. And here's the key, y'all. Not just for the good of the other, but for the good of the marriage. Not just for the good of the other, but for the good of the marriage. I tell couples when I do premarital counseling with them, there's going to be that moment when the bride's walk down the aisle and the preacher takes her hand, puts it into his hand. And at that point, a new family is formed. And what matters is both members of the marriage mutually submitting not just to what the other person wants, but mutually submitting for what is best for the marriage. What is best for the marriage? I don't want my marriage to be a marriage where I get what I want. I don't want my marriage to be a marriage where Holly gets what she wants. What I want is a marriage where we both are doing what's best for our family. That's what Paul's talking about here. This is not about one side being right and one side being wrong. This is about both sides putting aside their desires and their wants and their pride and their stuff. But they're doing this for the good of the new family that's formed in that moment. It's about that mutual submission to the ideal of that union between husband and wife in much the way that Christ has that divine union with the church. We're going to sing the church of one foundation just to close. But she on earth has has union with God, the three in one. And it's mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. That beautiful union that we see in between Christ and his church is mild in the marriage. <clears throat> where husband and wife loving each other in that way, to point to that union. Loving each other in that way where they do what's best, not for themselves and not for the other, but doing what's best <clears throat> for the marriage itself, to love. Your wife, as Christ loves the church, is for us as husbands to lay down our lives for our spouses. Now, I've said in premarital counseling, there's three areas we have conflict over. Family, faith, finances. That's, that's where our fights show themselves. Family, faith, finances. By family, uh, I've shared this with you before, it's not just the family that's formed, but it's the family you come from. 95% of your fights in a marriage are going to come from this. Your mama did it one way and their mama did it another way. There you go. That's it. And whose mama's right? That's how we were raised impacts how we view things. And so much of marriage, conflict comes from how we were raised and how our mamas did it. Finances means how we do our money. But faith, and this is a key point today for husbands because we talk about the husband being the spiritual house, head of the household. What Paul's talking about in this concept is this. This is not saying that every husband has to be the teacher in the family religiously. Because I know several couples that are, where the wife is a pastor. And they have the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching. What Paul's talking about in this concept of the husband being the spiritual leader of the home is this concept of here. I tell this to young couples. I've seen this with my own two eyes. If church does not matter to the husband, it will not matter to the family. It's that simple. If church, if religion, is not a priority to the husband, it will not be a priority to the family. I've seen it a million times. So for the husband here, this is not talking about you've got to have all the answers or you got to have everything figured out. But it is saying this, that in this concept, if faith and religion, worship, Scripture, giving, do not matter to the husband. In time, they will not matter to the family itself. That's what Paul means. We talked about this. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands. Both sides in a marriage submitting to each other, but submitting to the call, the ideal of the Christian family. Uh, somebody, somebody, who this morning said uh, you forgot to say the word compromise. Mike, that's a good point. The key to every marriage is communication and compromise. That, that's communication and compromise. That's it. Communication and compromise. So, yes, last week, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and that he laid down his life for the church. Both sides humbling themselves. And, by the way, that's why marriage is hard work. That's why it's hard. I don't want to humble myself. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to put others first. I want my way. I'm a fallen human. I like being in charge. It's fun. But that's not the path that gives to life, y'all. This path that Jesus tells us here of mutual submission to each other for the good of the family, that is the ideal that God has for our Christian families. And every path outside of that is unhealthy. As much as I love my wife, she can't make me happy. As much as I love my wife, she can't make me happy. I can't look to her for my happiness. I have to look to Jesus for my happiness. It's about all of us submitting our lives to each other, us submitting our marriages to Christ, and understanding that our marriages are the ideal that we live for. Now, here's the thing, y'all. I heard a great um, little um, video yesterday uh, about how churches celebrate Father's Day. And they said they all celebrate it differently. Some churches, they, do the, um, they, do the, they bring in the Bigfoot monster truck and run over some cars. Another church brings out, the, you ever heard of the power team? They, they break phone books for Jesus. They rip them in half. They, they, they do feats of strength for Jesus. Some churches do stuff like that. And they say, one guy, what are you going to do tomorrow at Father's Day? He said, well, Father's Day, I have a bunch of fathers in church tomorrow. I'm going to make them feel really guilty about what bad dads they are. And they're going to leave the church feeling terrible. How many Father's Day of Sermons have you heard like that? Like, okay, we got got them. Let's get them. Let's point out all their inadequacies. And you leave church feeling bad. You're going to get it wrong. I have. I've made terrible mistakes as a husband, as a father. Not on purpose. It just happens. I'm human. There's grace in our marriages, y'all. There's grace in our parenting. If your expectation of your marriage is that you're going to always get it right, but if your expectation of your marriage is that they're going to always get it right, then why did Jesus come? I mean, if we're perfect and we're going to always do it right, then why did Jesus have to come? There's grace, y'all. There's grace in our marriages when we get it wrong. There's grace in our parenting when we get it wrong. Y'all, there's grace in our church membership and in our faith when we get it wrong. Some, sometimes we want so bad to do it right that we can't hear the word grace when we get it wrong. One of my favorite quotes is by C.S. Lewis going to paraphrase it. He says, if God has forgiven us and we can't forgive ourselves, we have made ourselves a higher moral judge than God. I love that. If God's forgiven us and we can't forgive ourselves, we've made ourselves a higher moral judge than God. So yes, wives submit to your husband's. Put them first. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Put them first. Both of us mutually submitting to the marriage. But understand that, yeah, when we get it wrong, we should give grace and we should receive grace. Because in that, Christ is glorified. But, y'all, when we live our marriages in these ways, I truly believe that God can change the world. So let's be faithful. Let's love each other. Let's submit to each other mutually. Let's live out the good news of Jesus Christ in our marriages. Let's point all that we do and all that we are to Jesus so the world may know. Let's pray.